welcome to The Big D, a podcast about divorce. It is a serious topic, but I won't take it too seriously. I definitely don't take myself too seriously. I'm your host, Miranda, married and divorced before age 30. I guess you could say I'm efficient. In this episode, we talk to my friend Kay about food, divorcing because you're unhappy, which for some people isn't a good enough reason, and making space for yourself as a single person, and how dating again is like a pop quiz to see if you've really learned your lesson. But first, here's the separated sibling segment. back. It's another separated sibling segment with Miranda and Graham on the Dean's list of divorce. The two of us here, we need a little jingle to start us off. Oh, you know we need a little jingle. Graham, drop a beat. All right, sister. Two divorce siblings. the worst one yet for sure brutal i was i think it was my fault i set you up with a very difficult um tune <laughs> to jingle over it's okay uh the question we are tackling today is do you think about your ex well of course sometimes yeah but rarely uh yeah. and i think that will be quite different we'll have quite yeah. different answers for this because i am now four years out from separating and obviously your separation and divorce are much more recent um so I don't think about her often to be mm -hmm. honest um yeah yeah I yeah it's hard because we have so many mutual friends um and we did just finish the divorce paperwork a couple months ago. And I'm still sometimes getting mail for him to the apartment because I, I stayed in the same location. Um, yeah, but it is getting less and less. Um, <laughs> I, I actually hadn't seen him in person for eight months, nine months. And then was getting my eyebrows and top lip threaded in a public park by my friend, which he happened to be playing basketball at. And that was, anyways, I had to think about him then. Did I leave the park? No, because I was fucking there first. So can you answer me one very important question about it? Yes. What does threaded mean? Oh, great question. So it is a uh, technique that is primarily used in the Middle East and South Asia and East Asia too. Um, I don't know where it originated from, but you have, it's hair removal. Um, and you just have two threads and you wrap them around alternating fingers and then you 
pull the thread in a twist across the skin and just rip her. Oh, I you have rip her. heard of this. I yeah. have heard of this. Yeah, and out, you, you out for a rip there, bud. I uh, ripped the hairs from the upper lip. You went pirate and I went hoser. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I was having like, you know, an intimate moment with my friend, Paige. And uh, yeah, anyway, so I was thinking about him, but that's because I was seeing him. And that's a bit different than like, does he cross my mind? Um, and because I'm dating... And sometimes dating people who know who he is, it comes up. Um, of course. And that's a little weird, but I it's not in my everyday passing thoughts, which is frankly a relief because it takes a long time to get there. It mm -hmm. took me it took me a while. Oh, it does it does take a long time. I mean, I think, you know, I thought about her at least in passing, at least in passing every day for a year plus yeah right um a big a huge part of my life for a long time after the relationship ended was dealing with the fallout from the end of that relationship right and it was very present in my life what I will say for people who are going through the same thing is that you know for me at least I look back on that period and I, I look back on myself in the marriage and it really feels like another life in a lot of ways. Um, enough time has passed now that I, I look at who I was then and um, where I was at and things are just so different. You know, you, you, come, you come so far in, in four years and um, it really doesn't inf inform, maybe I shouldn't say inform, but it, it really isn't a part of my day-to-day -day life anymore at all or in any significant way. Yeah. Are there places or smells or foods or songs that make you think of her still? I don't know. I haven't heard any wizard rock in a long time. So <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but that would, that would, um, some, some places, I suppose, but even then it's not like, um, falling back into memory it's just like a, oh that's a place that i associate with my ex or honestly even just used to associate with my ex and right don't anymore yeah i think um for me music there's still some music that i don't think i could listen to not because it would make me sad, but because it would make me think about him and I don't want to, period. <laughs> like, it doesn't make me sad and nostalgic or mopey, but yeah, I just don't. And I don't know, hopefully that will change eventually because it's some good music. Yeah. Yeah. It might never. Yeah. But it probably will. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I know nothing. Yeah. I mean, we're just shooting the shit. With our hearts wide open. Just shooting shit right into the heart. I just, that's what we're doing. That's what divorce is. You just gotta pump that aorta full of feces. Oh, God. Well, you know what? I thought it would be important to have a boy on the podcast regularly. Hell yeah, sister. And that's what I get. <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Yeah. That threshold is where you choose you. Exactly. For the first time and not a relationship, not safety, not someone else's feelings, not what other people will think, not what's going to happen to you. You just like, or the fear of what's going to happen to you. The moment is where you're just like, I want me more than I want any of this other stuff. I can't wait for you to hear our whole conversation. For each episode centered on personal storytelling, we spend 10-ish minutes in an empathy exercise. My friend talking, me listening, and you're listening. Oftentimes, when you're telling friends about a breakup, you find yourself anticipating assumptions and trying to get out ahead of them. The hope with this format is that people get to tell their story in their own words, uninterrupted. This is how Kay describes herself. She's an arts worker, identifies as South Asian, fat, questioning her sexuality, living with depression and anxiety, living in the West End of Toronto, and she has incredible culinary adventures in her own kitchen, recreating recipes that she's only had once years ago. She's also a published author and currently working on a collection of short stories. Kay is one of the most genuinely warm people I've met. The way she communicates is like a real Capricorn, very precise and deeply self-aware. So Kay, what is our meet cute? I don't think it's a specific moment. Uh, but I think it's like just developing sort of a like a rapport over time. We used to we worked together in a really intense place, uh, and I think something I remember is these moments of just sort of shared glances across a meeting room, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, you're picking up on what I'm picking up on, <laughs> and there's like. Uh, I don't know, something about like a kindred spirit that you kind of like notice in someone else. Uh, And then just like connecting over like lunches that we go out to. And it's like, right, you're, you and I, we both are on the same page, on the same page about some strange dynamics or things that are not okay. Yeah. Venting with someone who won't give you a weird look at the end. But we're kind of in a space where we need to pretend like the emperor's got some clothes on. It is so validating and refreshing to just be like, you know, there's no clothes, right? And the other person's like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was an intense workplace. That is for sure. And yeah, I really appreciated your friendship through that time. And it was an isolating place to work. And so even though there were lots of people in the building, but in the moments that we did get to like, give those glances across the room at each other or go out for lunch, it was really important to me. Yes, it yeah. was a much needed warmth that I think was missing in that place. Yes. Yeah. That place. And dun, humanity. Dun, dun. <laughs> and humanity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you are divorced. I am divorced. You are a divorcee. I am, I am a, yeah, I'm a... 
sexy divorcee. Ooh. Yeah, I'm owning that more and more. I love that. I think that's true. So what is your divorce story? Ooh, okay. Well, I have been separated for a year uh, and divorced since August of this year. So I'm very excited about that. Um, it took a while for our divorce application to move through the courts because of COVID. Um, but as of this August, I am a, I am a sexy divorcee. Yeah. Which, uh, your viewers can't see, but I'm doing like oh, a doing shoulder wiggle dance. Little shimmies. <laughs> <laughs> shimmy reserved for divorced people only. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, I was married for six years to my ex, we'll call him Michael. Um, and we were together for seven years and, um, a little bit over seven years and two of the years of our marriage were long distance because, um, we kind of did things a little bit backwards in that we got together, we moved in together for, for a little bit of time. We got married and then did long distance for two years. And that was because, uh, we met when I had moved away from Toronto for a little bit for grad school um, and he uh, was sort of this only like the lifeline that I had in this new strange inhospitable kind of abusive environment that I found myself in in grad school and like I don't know can we just talk about like codependency stories because this is probably what this is in addition to it being a, a divorce story I think we both had like kind of isolating and rough childhoods in different ways and we both kind of just clung to each other when we found each other um in this um uh in this place where he was there for work I was there for school uh and then as we sort of built our life together um you know it's it's hard to even like narrate the kind of history of a of this relationship because it just seems so natural to me too like of course this is the direction of my life like and I I hadn't had a lot of relationships before this person and he hadn't had a lot of relationships either before meeting me or he was just sort of like a, a serial monogamous with like long term whereas I was very inexperienced when it came to um to dating and so it was just sort of a story of like, oh, I'm just going to marry the person, the first person to make me feel this way without ever thinking to myself, like, do I actually like this person? <laughs> like, does this person align with like my values? Does this person uh, really make me happy? Um, I didn't stop to th ask myself those questions. I was just like, great, this person uh, loves me and I love them and so we should get married, uh, which is what we did. Um, it was a little bit more complicated than that in that like I was leaving school, I was moving back to Toronto, a period of separation was coming up. I literally proposed to him. We were on a bus. Uh, I was going to be leaving the, the city soon. Um, this was a city in the United States, so I would be not just leaving the city, but the country to come back to, to Toronto. And I was just like, well, everything sucks. Why don't we just get married? And he was like, okay. 
And that's how it happened. That was like our proposal moment. I was the person who suggested we got married. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I was the person who suggested that we get unmarried. And so I was the person to end our relationship and I think in our marriage. And I think that happened. First of all, I think it was a situation where like neither one of us wanted to be the first person to say goodbye. That is fully the title of a song by like Gladys Knight. I think neither one of what neither one of us want to be the first to say goodbye. And I've always sort of felt like kind of like the project manager of our relationship. Listener context, I'm a Capricorn. Like this is this is 100% in line with um, who I am and who the stars said I was going to be. But it was also really, I felt very lonely throughout our marriage. We were very different people who got married very young. Uh, who So I was 26, he was 25 when we got married. Younger than our parents were when they got married, which is bizarre. Um, and I think it was a surprise to both of our sets of parents when we decided we were going to get married uh, or when I decided we were going to get married. <laughs> um, and we just grew up like as we got older, you know, some couples, I guess, grow together uh, as they get older, when they get together quite young. But we definitely grew apart as we became our own people. We both realized that we're very different people who don't make each other happy. Um, and he was very much invested in sort of this life of like, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids, like liberal in other ways, but kind of conservative in these sort of like ideas for what he wanted his life to look like. And I didn't want those things. Like given the choice between a mortgage and traveling, I'm going to pick traveling. I didn't want kids. He really wanted kids. Uh, that was a huge deal and something that did come up earlier on in our relationship too. But I think both of us thought the other person would change their minds. And if anything, we just got more resolute in the things that we wanted as we grew older. Like not even, there was no possibility of changing each other, like each other's minds. I think we're both pretty strong people. He's an Aries. So like, super, super headstrong. I'm a Capricorn. I, you know, earth sign. Yeah, totally. Um, and there were lots of differences between us too, that when I was younger, I found really exciting and I'm sure he did too. Um, he's a super extrovert. I'm like a social introvert. <laughs> he's just like a very exuberant, loud, like big person and all of the like connotations of that word when it comes to like physicality and personality and like space you take up in a room. And I'm, um, I'm not that. And I think that always, at first it excited me. And then over time it made me very annoyed. And I think that's also the story of this relationship too. It's just like resentment building up towards each other over time that neither of us like had the tools to actually like talk about or address or ask the other person to reckon with. And, you know, I don't, I try to also acknowledge all of the places that I, like all of the responsibility I have for um, the failure of the, of the marriage and the relationship. 
but I think I'm at a place to do that now. I think if we had had this conversation a year ago, it would have been just like, these are all the things that he did to hurt me and make me feel alone and make me uh, resent him and make me feel uh, just like I was losing my mind. But I think I'm at a place now where I'm like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I shouldn't, I maybe should have like not responded in that way to this person. I should have had a little bit more compassion towards this person and I can hold space for that now. Um, it's been two years since we separated. Um, and I think COVID has also had a big part to play in sort of like my processing too, because we split up in March, 2019 and the first year after that was me just having my what is that phrase rumspringa like that was my my year of just living wild and free um i had missed out or or the timing of our relationship was such that i had never been on the dating apps we had actually met on okcupid back when it was just a website where you met people and it wasn't an app uh, and so that first year of separation was just me in some ways or in many ways, like reclaiming my sexuality, my freedom, my space, uh, my bodily autonomy. Um, and it was a year where I felt like I really needed validation when it came to like dating and relationships from other people. Um, and then by the time I was able to actually sort of be with, like, actually want my friends around me and community support around grieving in that way, it was COVID. And then all I could do was just sit at home and be with myself. There was no one to distract myself with. Like, dating really wasn't an option in, like, the first couple of months of the pandemic. I mean, debatable now, too. Um we had all, I was the first of my friends to get married in my 20s. And then I was the first of my friends to get unmarried in my early to mid 30s. And so by the time the pandemic came around, all of my friends were like coupled up, moved in together. They had their little bubbles. They had their, um, they had their community. And I wasn't, Part, or it couldn't be part of it. And that was a very isolating and a very lonely experience, uh, which I am still not out of. We're still in COVID. It's still been incredibly hard to, um, if I didn't want to be on my own, I had to be on my own. Um, if I wanted to sit and process, I usually like to do that with other people and I didn't have that around me. And so, it just left me with a lot of time to think about the relationship, to think about myself and my own sort of role. But also, I'm not going to make it seem like things are okay either. It's been incredibly hard to be single, living alone, grieving a relationship through COVID. Uh, even if it's a relationship that you chose to end, which is what it was in my case. Um, I think that's one part of just sort of the way things ended with us, which is that I was kind of 
bringing up these issues that I wanted to work through with this person uh, and suggesting all kinds of solutions that range from like going to therapy, which they weren't down for, um, going to opening up the relationship as a way to find other forms of connections that allowed our needs to be met. And, you know, he wasn't into that either. Um, committing to making some changes on each of our parts, which he wasn't down for either. Um, and I think, you know, again, trying not to make this all about he did this and he said no to that. Just also recognizing that like, I was getting very panicked about the relationship. I was getting very anxious about the relationship and our marriage and like what it meant for who I thought I was and the kind of life that I hoped we could build together. And I probably wasn't a good person during those moments of like panic and resentment. That's a heady combination, panic and resentment. Um, and it got to the point where I had run out of solutions to suggest for fixing the sort of the dynamic between us, which like I laugh about because he had a job where he was very much the problem solver of everything, um, but didn't apply any of those skills to our marriage. Um, and then I felt like I was taking on that role to just be like, okay, let's try this, let's try this, which, you know, didn't go anywhere. And so I was a person who had first suggested like we got married. And then I was a person to end things too, to say, okay, this really isn't working for me. And I think we should just end things. And, you know, it wasn't a surprise to him. Uh, we've been fighting a lot over the last year over and just like increasingly ugly fights as well. Um, we both had just built up a whole lot of resentment towards each other by that point as well. And so it didn't come as a surprise to him that I was sort of throwing things, throwing, what is that for his throwing down the gauntlet? Yeah. Um, yeah. From the time of me saying, I'm done, we should separate, to the time of me moving out was about three months. Um, and that was a weird time to be living with someone, sharing like space with someone who, you know, you've ended that relationship with them, but you still haven't physically separated from each other. Uh, even now, I'm just like, how did I get through those three months? I don't know. But three months later, I moved out. I got my own place. It was my first time living alone without like family or roommates and friends or a partner. And I was in heaven. I was like, I've got my own space. I can do whatever I want with it. I don't have to negotiate with anyone about what it needs, what it should look like or how I decorate it. I can inhabit the space the way I want to. There are not going to be any fights with anyone else around like caring or maintaining, caring for or maintaining the space. It was blissful. Um, and I also jumped into a pretty quick rebound relationship with someone who at the time felt like was a corrective to all of the things that were wrong in the marriage, but like 
on further reflection, I know was just sort of repeating these same patterns and dynamics that I had with my ex, but just with like a new person. Uh, and yeah, that was a good lesson. I mean, that, that went on for six months and then like crashed and burned spectacularly, like spectacularly at the end of those six months. Uh, but I think I really needed that. It almost felt like I needed like a step down from being like in a marriage, cohabiting with someone, living and sharing everything with someone. I couldn't go from that cold turkey to just being on my own. This was sort of like a, I don't know, like a titration down <laughs> into single life. Um, but that's sort of like the post-divorce story. You talked a little bit about getting into dating apps for the first time and also creating your own physical space, living alone. What are the other ways that you have created space for yourself? It's mm -hmm. a great question. Food is a huge one. Um, so he and I had both had kind of tortured relationships with food. We're both fat. We both had a lot of like body issues um, and just like awful sort of comments from family members and community members uh, as we were growing up. And food became, food was a great way for us to connect with each other. He comes from a very different um, ethnic and racial background from me. And we found a lot of joy in introducing each other to each other's foods and cooking with each other, doing fusion cuisines with each other. Food was such a place of connection. And then food, when the relationship began, began to go south, food was also interestingly enough where a lot of that like mismatch uh, like appeared or where a lot of the discord appeared in that we, we stopped cooking together. We stopped eating together. If he would cook something, I didn't want to eat it. If he, if I would cook something, he'd kind of do his own thing. It became the place where like our disconnection registered was in food. And I say that to say like one of the ways in which I've sort of re or created space for myself after um, the divorce or after the separation and then divorce has been to reclaim sort of a relationship to cooking and food for myself. Cause that was one of the things we loved to do was to cook together. And so it became just such a, um, a sign of my loneliness to be cooking for myself, which I hated to do in those months right after we split up, but creating space for myself has definitely been in figuring out what I like to cook for myself exploring new recipes um, that I love, including the using the ingredients that I love, but I never loved in his cooking, but I just kind of like went along with. I think reclaiming the kitchen as my space and not just like a space for the two of us, but my own place um, has been one of the ways that like I've created some, reclaimed some of that space for myself, yeah. Were you aware of the cooking together disconnect as a symptom of your relationship kind of starting to unravel. Were you aware of that as it happened? Not while it was happening. 
only afterwards and looking back, I was like, yeah, we would get into fights about food, which we'd never gone into fights about before. Food was always a place of connection for us. But over the last, in looking back, I can see over the last six to like eight months of before the separation, you know, it would be like, well, this is my, this is not, it's going to sound so petty, but we get into fights over like food in the fridge and like who was eating what, or just like, why did you cook this in that way? That's not the way it's meant to be cooked. I don't like it when you cook this way. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. like <laughs> even as I'm saying this out loud, it sounds really petty or childish, but yeah, food is so intimate, right? Like I it's, agree. It's such a place of connection with someone and it's interesting how food then registered how we weren't connecting with each other anymore and in mm. fact it was causing us causing risks between us when it came yeah. to cooking and feeding ourselves let alone like feeding each other yeah i really relate to that because food is very intimate and personal and i say that like cooking is one of my love languages mm -hmm. because it's Same here. It's three in one. Yeah. You have a gift, you have an act of service and quality time. Absolutely. That's so right. Yes. That's just so interesting that that's one of the ways that it manifested for your relationship was in your relationship with each other and cooking yeah. and eating. Yeah. It's been hard to reclaim. And the pandemic mm. has made that harder too because I really miss the social aspect yeah. of cooking and sharing food with people, um, which I'm trying to sort of rebuild now, now that things feel a little bit more open, particularly for someone who's also grown up fat and is mm -hmm. still fat and who has had just a very difficult relationship to food where food always felt like a source of shame mm. or a source of like, um, yeah, shame, ridicule, ridicule, uh, monitoring or restriction, if not by outside society, which of course is where it comes from, but also myself yeah. or yeah. my family. It's um, to find joy with a partner over food was beautiful and also really heartbreaking when that wasn't there anymore. I can't imagine. Do you think, was he aware of the connection that you had together? with food yeah that's a good question i don't know i don't mm. know that he did maybe mm. he's done some of that reflection now but i also remember you know it wasn't just cooking food it was also like going out to mm. eat together mm -hmm. that was such a huge part of like when we first started dating and the first couple of years of our relationship just like going to new restaurants trying new things um exploring through food like exploring our neighborhoods through food and restaurants and I still remember one of the like last times we ever went out together before we went to uh, before I had like asked for the divorce said this like we've gone out for brunch and we said nothing to each other in that entire meal both of us spent time like looking at our phones which we didn't used to do and that was a moment where I was aware in the moment, like something is very wrong. We're not paying attention to each other. We're not trying to attempt to connect with each other. We're not even talking about like how good or how bad this food is. We're not, <laughs> oh it's not gosh. even on that level. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. Until this conversation, I hadn't really like kind of thought through food and like how food is like a site for the relationship in its good moments and also in its bad moments. Yeah. Sounds like a thesis to me. I mean, <laughs> someone wants to write that. Someone up. let Some, me know. Someone come interview me. <laughs> what was the source of feeling alone and isolated in the relationship or the sources? Yeah. The sources of that feeling. Um, something that I've always struggled with uh, has been anxiety and depression. And it's not something that I had a label for until doing some like intense work with a therapist um, uh, during the space of when this marriage, like when I was married. And it was such a relief to get a, diagno a diagnosis. It was such a relief to have sort of a label or a framework that I could put on what I had lived with for a large part of my life. Um, and when I brought that to my ex in a moment of vulnerability and just wanting um, care and comfort and connection, like, hey, this is a diagnosis that I've had. I'm going to start taking medication for it. Um, you know, can we talk about what this might mean for us? It was just met with silence on his part. And, you know, he's had a lot of internalized sort of stigma around mental illness and that came out in that conversation mm. and, or lack of a conversation. Um, and what I think I found most hurtful was that, you know, he's a, he's a problem solver. He's a researcher. He's a, a remover of obstacles, but he said, you know, I don't know anything about mental health and he didn't look to learn or to figure out how best to support me. And I found that um, incredibly isolating. I found it very, I felt like I was doing it all on my own. That's, um, that's in a relationship, in a partnership. That's devastating. It is. Yeah. It was, it's something I'm still not over. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of the things that I have a really hard time finding forgiveness for when I think there are lots of things that over time I've, I've learned to, you know, find compassion for, and if not forgiveness, at least compassion. But this is a, this is a, yeah. an area where I'm still very hurt about it. Um, mm. even though I've, I now am managing my own mental health a lot better than I was when, you know, we were together. Um, and it sucks that he isn't a part of that part of mm -hmm. my, like, you know, my development, my story, my life. Yeah. Yeah. That's really hard. That's really hard. And I think, I mean, this is an assumption, but like based on my own ability to relate and the stories I've heard from friends, I think it's very common. Mm. And I think we're only getting to a place like we're still actually just really scratching the surface of that and mm -hmm. deconstructing our own like internalized stigmas around mental health. Totally. And the impact on relationships is, yeah, I'll just use the word again, like devastating. Yeah. Um, and to not have a supportive partner or someone who, like you said, is a problem solver, but can't give you that energy mm -hmm. for this thing that, you know, someone can't understand because of the stigma. Like it's, it's such a huge, I think, oh man, just like such a huge chasm for so many people in their relationships. 
Yeah, it was um, a bridge that we could not cross. Like it was yeah. just a chasm, like you said, between yeah. us. It was a huge chasm between us. And I don't regret sharing that with him because if anything, it just brought more clarity to, to me mm. to that just how how not a good connection, a good match we were, how little we were we were there for each other. Mm. Um, and it didn't used to be that way. So it was one of those moments where mm -hmm. I was like, okay, this is, this is a sign that something is very, very wrong. Um, and it was the beginning of, I think, the end for me. I think that conversation where I disclosed and he just ignored for the most part um, was probably the, the turning point for me where I was like, okay, this, this is not something we can just fix. This is not something that I want to put in the energy to fixing with this yeah. person when they are not meeting me um, at yeah. a place of support. I also have this beginning of the end moment. Yeah. And I'm wondering, like, how long was it for you, the beginning of the end? It's probably close to about a year. Yeah. Between realizing this is the beginning of the end and me ending it. Right. Because in that year was um, disbelief. <laughs> it yeah. was um, trying to like ignore it. Um, but once you think that thought, you can't unthink it. And then everything starts to be colored by that thought. Like every that thought yeah. just begins to yeah shape every interaction it comes up in every fight after a while it like oof yeah now looking back i can identify the beginning of the end but at the time i didn't know so for me i think that stretch of time was more like two and a half years okay that's so hard yeah i'm so sorry <laughs> it's okay i mean like i wasn't really fully conscious of it at the time no. but yeah that's a good point. yeah and and i'm i think this is a question that i will carry on to other interviews yeah it's like what was your beginning of the end mm -hmm. what was it like for you telling your community family that you were separating yeah it was hard. There's still members of my family and community that don't know. I'm from a broadly, I'm going to be broadly South Asian community that is uh, also uh, very Christian. Um, and my family in particular is progressive in some ways which I'm grateful for, but very close-minded when it comes to relationships and specifically the topic of like separation and divorce. So my parents have surprised me in how supportive they've been. I wasn't expecting them to be, but there are some <laughs> members of my family who are clergy who uh, my parents have chosen to not tell them uh, because of the shame and stigma around divorce and that's hurtful but also they're not people that I'm particularly close to as well so I don't don't feel the need to have them see me as in my fullest you know expression of who I am yeah when it comes to community 
you know, even members of the community who aren't the same religion as my family is, what combines, what joins us all is this stigma towards divorce, particularly for women who are divorced, which is misogyny that isn't specific to my community or culture. I will say, definitely say that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and then a woman who chose to get divorced because she wasn't happy. And I say that mm. because there are members of my family and community, women who are divorced. And it was for reasons like, because their husbands cheated on them or their husbands were abusive or their husbands had like incredible gambling or addiction or like substance abuse issues that caused them to harm their wives and in some cases children. And there's a lot of sympathy for those women who have left those relations, who've ended those relationships because there's something yeah. very egregious and concrete that their part that their husbands had done which then justified them leaving i don't have that in my divorce story and i don't want that i, I think that's a very um i'm lucky and i'm grateful that those weren't things that we had to deal with in yeah. our marriage but it also makes it really hard for uh, like members of my community to understand why i as a woman would leave a man who was um, financially like educated, had a good job, wanted the house and kids and, you know, the two-car garage home <laughs> <laughs> in the suburbs. Like, yeah, you know, and, and even when I say that, I'm like, that's not just in my community. I think that's the yeah. society we're in as a whole just doesn't understand women who leave because they want better and they don't want crumbs and they don't want to be miserable anymore. Um, you know, I, I think explaining that, I, I, first of all, I don't think my parents quite understand that. And it makes it hard to share this story with other people in my community. It's been hard. It's been hard to find validation. It's been hard to find support outside of my immediate like friends. Yeah. When I say community, I think about like our closest friends. Yeah. As the people that we rely on and that we care for and the people who care for us. Mm -hmm. And you said that you were one of your first friends to get married, first to get unmarried. So what was that like engaging with like your, your friends part of your community? Yeah, that's a great point when you say when I think of community mm. I think of like an ethnic and cultural community mm. mm -hmm. um, that I am a part of and I'm trying to figure out what my relationship is too as well when it comes to my friends super supportive and I am so grateful for that what's also unique maybe in our story is that um, my ex relocated to Toronto for me, for us, but he would say for me, but it was for us and for our relationship. And so 
you know, my friends became his friends, my family became his family. He was very much um, sort of dropped into and became a part of my existing social networks. Mm -hmm. And then after our marriage ended, he moved back to the United States. And so he doesn't have a connection with my, my set of like social, my social circle anymore, which made things a bit easier too, in that we weren't trying to figure out how to remain friends with mutual friends anymore. Mm, it was uh -huh. felt very clean. Um, at least when it came to that yeah. part. Yeah. And so my friends I know have always squarely been, always been my friends first mm. and they've continued to be my friends even after like they were there before the relationship they were there after it's ended and I'm so grateful for that um something I did with them in order to create some sort of like ritual and celebration and ceremony around divorce because there aren't any there are all kinds of ceremonies and rituals around like birth or marriage and engagement and death death but not the death of a relationship yes uh and so something that I did on the day that my divorce became final is I had a divorce party with my friends and I can't wait the... to hear all about this like <laughs> tell me what in your mind what is a divorce party well I called it my happily ever after party I love that <laughs> I, I don't I didn't come up with this myself okay well there are other you know other divorce still th parties. that's a different framing than a divorce party because then you're not celebrating the divorce no. you're celebrating who you are now after this massive life change yeah it's the happily ever after party is how yes. I it's my after party <laughs> my, my marriage um it was Great. Like we got together for like drinks. We, we got together at a fire pit and I asked everyone to bring symbol, like paper symbols. I'm trying to be responsible. Paper symbols of things that they wanted to say goodbye to. And then I brought a number of things that I still had sort of left over from the marriage. So like our divorce, sorry, our marriage certificate, um, a menu from our weddings, like our reception, um, paper copies of like the leases for the places we've had together. Um, the last piece of handwriting of his that I had in my place. Um, it was like he'd labeled a bunch of stuff for our move and his handwriting was on one of these boxes. And so, yeah, I brought that. We threw it into the fire. We all said things. We all shared things about why we were saying goodbye to these, these particular relationships mm -hmm. or periods in our life or dynamics that we wanted to say goodbye to. Um, and that felt really healing. Mm. That felt good to incorporate something shared and something physical and something that like just engages all of your your senses mm -hmm. as well like particularly smell like the oh, smell yeah. of you know burning paper wood smoke yeah it's so the smoke evocative. is a purifying yeah it's super healing yeah 
That sounds so beautiful. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a bit weird too. In like, <laughs> you're trying to figure out what I'm on board. I'm on board. <laughs> you're trying to make new rituals that don't exist. And so, you know, it does take a certain amount of like your friends being like, all right, well, I'm going to go along with this. But they did. That's what I love about them. I love that. That's, that's a real active community. Yeah. Burning a lot of shit on, in yeah. a fire pit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was, it was really moving. Um, and I'm really grateful that they held that space for me. Um, what's it been like dating again? Happily ever after? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't say. Um, well, I'm still single. Yep. Um, my first, the first year of separation was like, I will never be single again. And it was just one, it was, it was my first sort of delve, dive, whatever the word is, my first sort of foray into hookup culture too. You could even call that a thing. It was my first foray into like casual relationships and dating and sex. Mm -hmm. And it was exciting and terrifying all at the same time because so much of like my sexuality had been tied up in this seven year long relationship with this man who like it was the first person I slept with after that relationship but the first time I had sex with someone else who wasn't my ex was terrifying my body just like didn't know what to do yeah it was so just sort of tensed up and weirded out by the whole situation even though my mind and was really you know yes we just gotta you're not power through this power through this. i'm ready <laughs> body get in line we're gonna we're oh gonna sleep gosh. with as many people as we can <laughs> we're gonna make up for lost time um but it was terrifying. I don't think yeah. a lot of people, I think a lot of people talk about just sort of this like liberated celebratory period of time just after separation or divorce. And for me, those first couple of months were actually just like incredibly scary. Then it got easier. Yeah. And then I just had, <laughs> that year was just me, again, I think making up for lost time, but it, it did it did require or it did entail one six month long rebound relationship where I just needed to sort of play out a lot of the dynamics from the marriage in order to be like, I left this once. <laughs> it would, I don't need to go through this again. It was like a pop quiz. It's a pop quiz. The universe keeps giving you pop. You think you passed the exam. But no, <laughs> but no, the universe keeps giving you pop quizzes like, hey, why don't we test all the things that you learned in, yeah. in this marriage? Um, and then, of course, COVID. And that's made dating almost impossible, or mm -hmm. at least meaningful dating for me. Yeah. Almost yes. impossible. Um, it's, I, I think when I first came out of my relationship, my marriage, I was like, oh, I've missed this entire world of like app dating. I'm so excited to go like swipe to my heart's content. And like two years of doing that, I'm like, I hate apps. I hate, <laughs> I hate all of these, mm -hmm. all of these. Yeah. Um, just sort of, it's just one disappointment after the other. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm very similar to you. Like, uh, this is my first time living alone. Yeah. 
Um, and I also skipped apps. Yeah. So far, my experience on apps was very uh, short-lived. And otherwise, have just dated people that are like mutual friends of friends mm. and stuff, um, mm. which is its own, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Kettle of fish? It's um, something a little bit more complicated than a kettle of fish. Yeah, what is a kettle of fish? I was just thinking this, like, <laughs> I have catchphrase, metaphor means nothing to me. I don't know. Um, yeah, no, I... Uh, bees, ne bees, wasp nest? Yeah, hornet's nest. Hornet's nest. Yes. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big adjustment to make. It is. Also because we are still younger and apps and like you know hookup culture for lack lack of a better yeah. phrase is like what people our age are doing yes so yeah it's it's intim it's intimidating it's intimidating it's confusing it's um very anxiety inducing for me anyways uh it's been hard to know how to navigate it yeah and it's led to a lot of heartbreak mm, um, yeah it's also led to um some really beautiful connections with people too mm. where I feel like I've learned about myself in ways that I didn't when I was like in this relation like in the seven year long right relationship and, and marriage to this person yeah so it's hard to I mean, I say, I said it was one disappointment after the other. That's probably more so my current bitterness speaking. <laughs> Overall, over these two years, yeah. I think there's been some really beautiful connections that I've had with people and some like really shitty ones that I've had yeah. with people. But I don't regret any of them. Really, yeah. if I think about it, I don't really regret any of them. And I don't regret my marriage either. Like, I feel yeah. like I, I became who I am. For better or worse, haha. -ha, yeah. As a result of it. And I don't feel shame around yeah. ending or like being divorced. I feel yeah. despite the lack of like validation that I think society gives women, I do feel a little proud of myself for like making that decision. You should for doing the scary thing, for doing the difficult thing when no one wanted to do the difficult thing. And then just like owning those consequences. They're not consequences. I mean there are consequences, but just owning those outcomes, the outcomes um, from from that, and it also means that I'm just like figuring out how to date as well, which I never really had to do, to be honest. Started dating quite late, and um, late, I guess, relative to other people, and I ended up meeting my ex pretty early on in starting to date for the first time. So. You know, it was, I was pretty inexper inexperienced when we, in like dating and relationships when we yeah. met. Um, and, you know, I guess we can say it's been a starter marriage. That's yes, a phrase people use. it is. Um, but starter also suggests that I will have another. And I'm not, I haven't made up my mind about that. Yeah. Would you get married again? At this time, I'm going to say no. However, I think it's something that I'd be open to discussing. 
with a potential partner as in like mm. if that's something that really mattered to them mm-hmm. for their family yeah. culture community whatever it is I'm sort of like marriage agnostic like I mm-hmm. will yeah if, if this will make some if this means a lot to someone I would yeah I would engage in it again um but I'm not looking for another husband I'm looking for a partner yeah I don't know that I'm looking for another husband again yeah anytime soon um and I'm still pretty resolute in my decision that, like, I don't want kids. Mm-hmm. It's one of the things I think I mentioned, too, like, was a point of disagreement. Yes. In that it's a marriage. big one. It's a big one. So, like, when it comes to getting married again, sure. If it's important to the other person, it's not something I myself am seeking out. What kind of exploration have you done since your separation as to the kind of partner that you want? Like after your separation, did you know exactly what kind of person you were looking for or has that evolved over the last two years? I feel that's, that's such a good question. Um, I feel like that has really evolved. And what I think is different too, is that I have also started questioning, you know, my sexuality all of my life. I thought I was straight and I've never questioned why I thought I was straight mm-hmm. and then I was married and in a long-term relationship with a man for a significant portion of my life mm-hmm. and my becoming like an adult or figuring out just growing up as a person yeah and now that I've been separated I I think I'm less um I'm less like I, I don't see myself as straight I haven't claimed the identity of queer just yet because I feel like I'm very early on in that exploration of my sexuality, but I know I'm not just attracted to like cis men. Yeah. And I would love to explore more relationships with people who aren't cis men. Mm -hmm. I think that's really exciting and really beautiful about this time too, of just like coming to know who I am and who I want in a partner. And so I'm excited about sort of the, the connections to come but like I say this and I'm like okay hurry up like it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's fall we're in cuffing, cuffing season. season can someone just show up already yeah <laughs> I'll post her address uh, <laughs> on you know I'll I actually have considered running like speed dating I would want for like through the podcast yes, I would so <laughs> sign up for that yeah okay coming 2022 yeah. In this spring. Um, I'm putting that in the universe. <laughs> I'm just thinking of, I'm just like backtracking to what you just said now. Because I got so excited. About oh, it. about like sexuality and like mm-hmm. questioning. I guess I would identify as questioning. Yeah. Um, even that just seems like such a sad word. But it's, it's, it's yeah. a word for where I am. Well, I think one of the things that divorce or a really big breakup does for people is it's like both chosen and forced vulnerability mm. that just like cracks you open yeah that's such and a good you lose it. so much of your life and for so many people you know like a huge part of your identity and so then you get to like build it yeah. again not from scratch because I think especially like in leaving like we did you know there is a sense of identity you have to have to do that but you kind of get to figure out what you your building blocks are from there yeah it um I guess I mean I haven't really 
thought this through yet, but you're right. Like a divorce causes you to question everything, who you thought you were, what you thought you wanted. Your whole um, future you imagined. The future you imagined, the kind of people you thought you would be in community with and connected to and dependent on in many ways. So yeah, why shouldn't, I mean, in my case, like, why shouldn't also questioning who you thought you were always attracted to be a part of this process? It's vulnerable, very vulnerable, like you said. And it's more vulnerable than I think sometimes just saying that you're going through a breakup is. I can't quite put my finger on it, but something about talking about divorce just feels a little bit more, maybe this is my like, ex-married person's bias speaking, but something about talking about divorce feels like it's just a little bit more disastrous than a breakup. But you know what? I say that I'm like, am I minimizing breakups? I don't want to. That's not what I'm trying to do here. There are very few people who can relate to you about divorce is what I found in my life. I didn't have anyone else in my network, uh, friends or family members, not immediately that I could reach out to anyways who'd been through a divorce. Plenty of people have been through breakups. Yeah. But no one could talk to me with the exception of one, like, a friend's partner who we didn't really know each other very well at that time, but she was the only person in my circle of people who had been through a divorce, and she was great to talk to. But it took a while to find that yeah. person. Well, I wonder also if that's a problem with the way that we treat breakups. Like if the care that we and understanding that we want as people who've gone for divorce, we can turn and give that yeah. care to people who have totally. gone through breakups. Because I think, um, and I have a feeling this might be a theme through multiple episodes based on my conversation with Bryce is that, you know, like there are ceremonies and traditions that are really important to how we process things. And for breakups, all you get is ice cream and a bottle of wine. <laughs> but we, I, we all need more than that. We do. You're so right. And conversely, I think there may be societally more um, gravity given to a divorce than a breakup. Because the divorce is seen as more of like a longer commitment. That, Success. Yeah. Yeah. That ended. Yeah. As opposed to, well, you, you guys are just. Totally. You know, you're just together. You weren't like married or anything like that it's right get over it it's just a breakup yeah. so yeah you're right there is um there's a lot to be said about or a lot more we need to do around holding space socially for ending relationships or relationships ending yeah period yeah friendships ending oh my god friendships ending friendship Can we have a podcast about that because yes. that's been just as heartbreaking I'm like getting emotional thinking about friendships ending. <laughs> but it's, yeah, I think that there is, I think that's like a big thing that we don't talk about. No, we have no ritual around. We have no ritual. We have no comedies. We have we no have... dramas. We have no. Um... We just have bride wars. Oh, what or is whatever that? that... <laughs> uh, it's like a rom-com with two best friends who... Okay, I don't really know anything about the plot, I don't think. I don't know. It's like 
Anne Hathaway and Goldie Hawn's daughter. Oh. She's super famous. I can't believe I don't remember her Kate name. Kate Hudson. Hudson, yes. Or it's Katherine Heigl and someone else. I don't, I don't know. It's like early double O's. Right. Rom-com. And yeah. they're like best friends who plan their weddings together as children. And then something happens and then they have a falling out as they plan their weddings together. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's like the combination. That's all we have. Yeah. <laughs> is Bride Wars. Yeah, that's a, I would say, I, I'd listen to a whole other podcast about <laughs> friendships ending because those feel just as, if not more, devastating than relationships ending because they were yours. They were, you were with each other first. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, They're so intimate. Um, I used to be obsessed with Anne of Green Gables growing up. Before I immigrated to Canada, uh, that was like the only like idea that I had of Canada was reading <laughs> Anne of Green Gables and all of the sequels to Oh my it. gosh. Um, so that's what I thought Canada was like. I thought it was like PEI in like the late 1800s. <laughs> <laughs> but... A phrase that Anne would always use to describe Diana's. They were like, they were bosom buddies. I know. Is that the word? Kindred spirits and bosom buddies. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I, I feel the same way. And I mean, this podcast is called The Big D and it is primarily about divorce, but it is also about deep relationships mm -hmm. falling apart. Mm -hmm. um, we'll be sharing some of those stories. Yeah. Nicole Byer has this great yes. podcast uh, called Why Won't You Date Me? Uh, I love that title. It's so fun. She's so fun. All of her guests are hilarious. Uh, but I would, I would love a podcast about like, why won't you be my friend? <laughs> Thank you, Kay. Kay used a pseudonym for the interview, and I'm so grateful she joined me to talk about the Big D. In between episodes, join us on Instagram at Big D Pod. Subscribe, finger that like button, and share with your friends, lovers, and exes. Original music written, composed, and performed by the award-winning and super hot singer Posey. Thanks to my secret producer. You know who you are. This podcast is written, edited, sound foley, sound mixing, public relations by me, Miranda. So that means you may not get episodes on a perfect schedule. Thank you for your patience. And of course, thank you to all my friends who believed I could and can, so I did and I do. Nobody talk